Hello and welcome to another episode of the Supersop Podcast. I'm Paul Drake, recording from Vancouver. And I'm Oshin, recording from Vancouver, the different part of Vancouver. I have a little bit of a cold, I think. It could be a flu, could be, I don't know, could be all sorts of things, but I'm isolated. I'm on my own in this bedroom and I'm not going to infect anybody. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So last episode, we talked about the next version of Castro and how we're going to move to subscription pricing. Um, so let's do a little bit of follow up on that, first of all. A lot of people got in touch with us and pointed out that $5 a year might be too low, which is not the reaction I was expecting, but it was very welcome. It was nice to hear from like people who were really enthusiastic and wanted to make sure that we weren't going to end up like pricing ourselves too low and stuff. I guess as well, at the same time, you have to, I mean, we can't just listen to like our most enthusiastic supporters who like want to give us all their money <laughs> and infer that like everybody else is going to be the same. But I mean, we had talked even on that episode about raising the price over time as we added features. So, I mean, I guess there is an end goal where we want to get there, but I guess there is just still a bit a question about like, where do you start from and should you be starting closer to where you want to end up or what exactly should be our approach there? One thing that we asked ourselves during the week, kind of as we were like taking on board some of this feedback and trying to get to the next stage of, of our thought process on it was what would be the ultimate price that we wanted eventually? Like, like how much could we charge for it once we have all the features that we want? And like, what price would Castro subscription be then? It's hard for me to imagine any price much higher than $12 a year at the moment, just as a like a max. <laughs> And that ties in well to $1 a month if we decide, well, we'll talk about this later, but if we decide to offer a monthly plan, $1 a month feels like a pretty decent deal to me. Yeah, there was a guy at a party that I met over over the weekend. Um, he was big into podcasts and I told him that we made a podcast app and he asked like how much it costs and I said like $5 and he's like, oh, is that like $5 a month? And I was like, oh no, it's just like, that's just $5 <laughs> right now. Once off. Yeah, so he thought this was like this amazing deal that you could get it like a podcast app and just pay $5 for it once and it would like work <laughs> forever. Mm. But yeah, when I, even when I did tell him that like we were going to go to, like that we were moving towards a subscription model. And again, he was like, oh, so then it'll be $5 per month. <laughs> but I think that's because he, yeah, he's like very enthusiastic about some of the podcasts that he listens to. And like he uses Patreon and like his favorite podcasts, he gives them all $5 per month. So it would be nice if there was a way for that guy to give us $5 per month. That makes me think of the idea that there are people who are willing to pay and there are people who won't ever pay anything. And that trying to like reach a balance between those two is a mistake. And instead you should just try to price appropriately for the ones who will pay maybe there are people out there who'd pay a five or a month there's certainly one yeah but by even like having that option available in the app like maybe that just becomes like too scary a thing like like if somebody opens the app and they even see that there's like this option that's like five dollars per month they might just be like oh this is crazy this is madness what's going on so should we have a monthly option at all one drawback is that every month the user will get an email from Apple saying, oh, your $1 is coming out for Castro. It's kind of a reminder to cancel your subscription or to at least reevaluate your subscription. And yeah, it's also kind of annoying to get those emails, to be honest, even when you are happily going to continue using it. Are there any other drawbacks to having a monthly option? By having different options, you're trying to guide people towards the one that's going to work for them. So like, yeah, if they're willing, they know that they definitely want this thing and they, maybe they want to save a bit of money by going annually on it. Or if somebody is like a little bit more hesitant but just wants to try it out for a shorter time those two situations make sense but i guess there's a fear of like if you show people too many options is there like a the paralysis of choice essentially where yeah it gets too difficult for them to to make up their mind of what they want well just imagining 
the ideal user who wants to subscribe and now you're going to give them a bunch of shit to think about instead of just saying, look, it's $10 a year or $8 a year or something. Press this button. Yeah, there's definitely simplicity there in just having like having one thing. Mm. I mean, I would say though about the like pe- like the idea of like people are going to drop off each one. Just like man, I think just like benefits to that though as well in a way. Not of them dropping off, <laughs> but of we get an idea quicker of like what our retention rate is and stuff like that. So we talked in the last episode about how over time we want to feel like we can like look at our monthly metrics and that they're much more tied to like our monthly revenue because there's recurring revenue. Um. But if the recurring payment isn't going to happen for like 12 months after we first launch, then, I mean, it's going to be a year until we really start getting meaningful data on, okay, how many people do renew their subscription, for example. Yeah, that's a good point. So if there's a monthly option there, we will probably get a little bit worried that people are going to drop off quicker and people will have the inconvenience of having that email every month as well, whether they want it or not. But at least like within like a few months, we will have a pretty solid sense of like, okay, but like how many users can we expect to stay around every month and that can help us like to get more solid grasp on the statistics and like make better projections for how things are going to go over the coming months and years well yeah and iterate how we offer that stuff too like when we understand the data we can do a b tests on things and start to understand what actually works for getting people to sign up where yeah as you said if we have to wait a year before we have that feedback then we obviously can't do a great job on that one thing that crossed my mind about castro in particular since your podcast app, if you listen to podcasts, is an app you use a few days a week at least, uh, we don't need to trick people into subscribing and then forgetting about it. Like They're going to want to keep paying the $1 a month if they're using it. So I feel like if we were reading a blog post from some other generic app that had implemented this kind of thing, it wouldn't necessarily apply to us or to to Castro. I should, we always say we and us when we're talking about an app, which is it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I've put so much of myself into that. I know it's 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 more <laughs> it'll live on longer than we will. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't think any we need to be like clever or sneaky about keeping people only thinking about this stuff once a year because otherwise they would definitely cancel. If Castro is valuable to them, they'll pay, and if it's not, if it's not, they won't. Yeah, no. If people drop off, it's because they're not going to be finding the app worth it. And I mean, I guess that's fine, really. I mean. I don't want our business to be based on having tricked people into signing up for something that they don't want to use anymore. It's it's the onus is on us to like keep the app keep the app valid and keep them interested and like make sure that it stays being valuable to them. And it's easy to kind of blame Apple in a way and be like, oh yeah, they shouldn't be sending out like monthly emails and stuff. But if we're doing a good enough job on the app and the app is important enough to people who are using it, then I don't think we should be like too scared about that side of things. Maybe we should charge more for the yearly one because you get the extra feature of not being sent. 11 more emails. (laughs) (laughs) So having discussed these options about like maybe we should go a bit higher than $5 or maybe should we consider monthly. um, One idea that we arrived on during the week, I think it's kind of sit pretty well with us like this week, but I mean, we'll see how we feel next week as well. But I think where I'm leaning at the moment is the idea of, yeah, we have the annual option, which we discussed before. Instead of being $5 a year, Maybe we would make that be $8 per year, which is a bit closer to the like the 12 that we ideally want to get to in the end. But also that we could have an, like, an option to subscribe for, for $1 per month. And then that means that like even like right from launch, we do have a subscription there that is the $12 per year, which I think establishes like that that is like the like the base price for the Castro's uh, subscription service is $12 per year. But like then if you like sign up annually, obviously you're going to get a little bit of a discount and you get it for $8. 
And it's also a lower friction option for somebody who isn't so sure about like jumping in for a whole year at the start. For users like that, I mean, we can just say, hey, look, it's $1. Jump in and for like just $1, you're going to be able to try it all out for like for a full month. Yeah, and you can always upgrade to the yearly one if you like it after that. And still, you've spent $9 for 13 months then. So I'm pretty on board with it up to this point where, okay, now there are two options. There's a monthly and a yearly one. I think any user seeing those options will immediately understand them and won't have any paralysis of deciding between the two. It's when we start adding things like free trials, that's when it starts to feel like there's too much going on. I don't have an answer for that, but that that's still where I, I wonder, should there be a free trial at all? Or should there only be an annual option, but it has a free trial? Well, the other thing is, I mean, I th- like I'm intrigued by all these different ideas and I like the idea of trying them, but um, like we're very much in the dark, I guess, in a way in terms of like we're still just going to launch in this thing like for like its first ever version like we're guessing when we try to think of like statistics of stuff like say for example like how many how many downloads a day do we think we're going to have once the app is free we can try to make guesses based on like some things that other people have told us about their apps and things like that but it we are still very much like in the dark on these things so like there's a part of me that thinks like for the first version of when we launched this, come out of the door, like with the simplest kind of baseline thing, like, okay, at least now there, yeah, there's a subscription in it. And yeah, maybe it's just one price. And that then as you make changes over time, at least you're making changes where you already have data for like how it was going beforehand and can hopefully then try to make like more informed decisions about like why exactly adding on this other option is going to be better. Either through like, yeah, talking directly to customers or from looking at some of our analytics and stuff like that, that we can get an idea of ways to improve it over time. Rather than, yeah, it's still right at now at the moment, it still feels like we could come up with so many different ideas. But I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah it's kind of we're in the dark. Yeah, picking something simple to launch with and then we can make it more complex from there. That sounds like the right approach to me. Another idea we've discussed is that we would brand the subscription rather than the app itself. So we call the new features that are behind the subscription paywall, we call that Castro Plus or Premium or Pro or whatever, instead of Castro 3. And then over the next few months, shuffle off the 2 from Castro 2 and maybe just start referring to it as Castro. When we launched Castro 2, I know, like we emphasized the 2 a lot. But I remember thinking even at the time that it was going to be like this temporary thing that we did because we needed to differentiate based on the fact that th- because this was going to be a new app on the App Store, but we kind of, in a way, double down on the two a lot. Like, I think it's even in the App Store name at the moment. Um, it still is on, like, the first screen that a user ever sees when they open the app. has a big, like, two in the middle of it next to Castro. Mm-hmm. And when any time we've talked about Castro 3, we've been calling it exactly that, Castro 3. I even have a version of Castro 2 3.0 on, on my phone right now. So <laughs> The title has Castro 2 in it, and then there's also the version number. No, I think that'll be a much nicer way to lay it out. I think it makes it clearer what you're buying. Castro 2, as it is now, more or less remains the same. And then the thing you buy is the Castro Plus features. Okay, Um, so you got here a week ago. Let's talk about what we've been working on. So you've been working on the player screen mainly, right? Yeah, and you've been working on the player. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's nice how those two things tie together. I feel good that like when we launch all this stuff together, it'll be like the full stack of the player stuff has changed. If just the engine was changing underneath, it'd, that would just be like a minor bullet point at the bottom of the list. And if like the UI was changing at the top, that would almost be overemphasizing the same player being underneath. So I like both of them changing together as le- and the UI change is reflecting a much deeper change throughout the app. Castro, even like from Castro 1, like all the way through, like Castro has never really had like a traditional 
what people would call like they say a now playing screen that is in most podcast apps and uh, music apps and things like that. What do you mean by a traditional now playing screen? Basically, I guess I mean that screen with really big artwork that we never thought was really needed before. Right. Just player controls and gigantic artwork. And then maybe like a bunch of tiny inscrutable icons that do different things. So in Castro 1, we thought it was more important at that point to place an emphasis on the show notes. So for example, when you tapped in now playing bar in Castro 1, it pushed on the show notes view and the now playing bar expanded out a little bit. It had a few more controls on it, but they were still like these very small controls at the, at the bottom of the screen. It wasn't like it, you didn't get to have bigger buttons and stuff that would be easier to use in a car or in other environments where you're moving or doing exercise or whatever. But then in Castro 2, we realized that, yeah, there were environments like this where it was going to be important to like be able to have bigger play pause buttons, for example, bigger skip buttons. There were new things we wanted to do with the scrubber that were going to make it easier to do fine scrubbing and things like that. I felt strongly about that stuff too. Like, you know, you've just pressed play on the episode. You know what podcast it is. You don't need like half your screen blasting a giant image at you. At least that's that's how I felt at the time about it anyway. I think that was a reasonable set of trade-offs to say, we're going to make it so all the controls are big, easily available. They communicate their state really well. And yeah, you're not going to have the artwork, but guess what? You know what podcast it is. You can listen to it right now. It's playing. <laughs> but we got some feedback about that. <laughs> The thing that we missed, though, with these two approaches before in Castro 1 and 2 was that while we were always focused so much on controls and either on like trying to keep the controls as neat and small as possible in Castro 1 or trying to get as many controls as possible in the screen in Castro 2, that like there's another use case that people emailed us about um, and that we eventually realized it was going to be a good thing for us to cater towards, which is that often when people like listen to a podcast, it, it could be in a car or it's on some sort of a sort of some sort of a stand like nearby them that they like to have a screen that they just leave there they leave it on they leave the display on some podcast apps even have a feature where if you're on that screen and the phone is plugged in for example it like it won't turn off the screen you can stay there and it's not so much that this is a screen that's all about like having everything you could possibly want to do to the player available like immediately it's more you're just reminded like of of the podcast that you're listening to or even a lot of times like the aesthetic of the podcast is reflected in the artwork. So in the new version of the player, we're going to add the artwork back in and try to, like the current one does look a bit cluttered. Uh, the margins are a little different from the rest of the app. There's a few things that after two years of looking at this app, it's time to revisit some of the design decisions on this screen, I think for sure. So we have a few Photoshop uh, layouts that look really great. Um, they're still missing some of the features that we need to figure out a way to add them back in. But yeah, basically our objectives are add the artwork in, uh, reorganize the features so that there's less clutter and make room for some new features that we're hoping to add. But that's still a lot of controls and a lot of things on the screen, especially if we give give half the screen to the artwork. So we've been looking into the options for how to how to still offer those features, but also offer this pleasant place you can be in the app while the podcast is playing. Yeah, because like where we started from, even I think once we accepted that, yeah, it was going to be a nice idea to try and get big artwork on this screen somewhere. We still have early mockups that does have big artwork, but also still somehow managed to get all the different controls on the screen um, and state showing. And there was some extra bits had to get pushed on for like some of these different options there. But most of the controls were on screen or at least like 
or at least in this early version, you wouldn't have a whole sleep timer bar there like we have now, but you would still be able to see the current state of the sleep timer. That was our approach there, where we still wanted to try to basically have our cake and eat it too. So, yeah, we would have big artwork for the people who kept telling us that was important, but also we were going to get, like, so many controls on the screen as well at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we felt, I think we felt good about it. And then we showed it to Mark Edwards and uh, Jared Sinclair. (laughs) And they tore it apart a little bit on it. <laughs> Which was good, because now when I look at it, I definitely see the problems. Oh, yeah. No, like when we compare that now to like the latest mock-ups that we have, yeah, it's very exciting to kind of like see it going in, in, like in this new direction. So the options are all the controls on one screen. And we haven't, we've tried for a long time with different experiments to see if we can make that work. And I, I think we just have to give up on that idea, or at least... If we want that, we have to give up the idea of it being tidy or like pleasant to look at. The other options, I'll just go through the headings of them and then we can dig into them maybe. Vertical scrolling like the music app. So you just have tons of stuff and it scrolls vertically. Horizontal scrolling in some way, like most other podcast apps do this in some way, or some buttons to reveal additional controls. So let's start with vert- vertical scrolling. One big criticism of vertical scrolling um, is that it like it's too hidden that like it's not obvious enough that there's extra controls further down below. I think a lot of this comes is not necessarily entirely inherent in vertical scrolling as a concept and more down to Apple Music and Apple Podcast apps uh, implementation of it. I mean, there's plenty of places in iOS where content scrolls vertically, right? And people don't get confused that, that that's a thing that can be done. But because of the way that it's like laid out and the way that in Apple Music, they still try to make it look like that first page, that that first screen of content that you see is like laid out in a way that makes it look like, okay, yeah, this is everything. Yeah, it, it just doesn't, I think they added like hints or kind of ways to try to prompt you to let you know you could scroll down. But that was one that in our discussions in our Slack that, that Mark Edwards was like really against just because of his and his wife's experience with Apple Music, where even after Apple Music had done like their extra steps to teach you that, hey, look, there's more stuff down here that they still would forget over time. And when, like you come back and you wonder where's the shuffle button and you just can't find it anywhere in the app. Yeah, there's no indication that it's there. You have to just already know. I don't have an iPhone 10, but when I see the gesture to swipe out of the app, like to get back to the home screen, that makes me feel like swiping something like that like that it'll be hard to provide some kind of affordance or like an arrow or whatever that makes it clear that that's scrollable because that bar is there to let you know that you can swipe up so if we had an extra chevron down there it would just look weird i think yeah i definitely don't think that kind of visual indicator would work there um and even stuff like maybe having a bit more content kind of peeping up like from the bottom of the phone so it's just clear hey something's getting cut off here um but what that loses then is like the idea for of this like now playing screen that we've discussed that it should feel like this really comfortable, nice, like complete place that you are where you can just like leave it on this screen as you listen to your music or play your podcasts or whatever. And on the on the iPhone 10 in particular, I think when content is like sticks up from the bottom like that on a screen that you want to like feel really comfortable and complete, that that's going to just kind of mess with the balance of that a bit. There's something about a player screen that I just want the controls to st- be in the same vertical position. I want them to be in the same place just so that I can press play or pause or whatever without paying too much attention. Yeah, exactly. Without worrying like, oh, did I already scroll it down a little bit? Or like, yeah, if our sleep timer, for example, is like 
further down the screen like that and then you have to like scroll the view a little bit to get down to it where is the sleep timer going to end up it's not going to be in the same it's not always going to be in the same place underneath your finger when you then try to activate it so that's vertical scrolling i think we're pretty much talked out of that considering and trying to design a castro 2 castro 3 castro plus player screen for vertical scrolling was a good exercise to make us realize that we really don't want all the controls on one screen it was a good thing to explore but i'm pretty sure we don't yeah i don't like how music scrolls i think it's bad even though it's how apple does things so like we've made the argument in the past that well apple does it this way so we can expect users to understand this concept i still think it's it's too hidden especially once we saw like how clean the screen could look when we had like just like what we wanted to be like primarily visible on it and then that really made me realize that i wanted us to try to find another way of revealing like the additional controls rather than scrolling down just so that we don't have to compromise too much on like on how that screen now looks the other option i guess then in terms of like how you reveal these extra controls is horizontal scrolling which in a way is kind of just as hidden as vertical scrolling, but it's communicated generally by like having these uh, page, little page dots to indicate that you can like swipe left or right to get to other screens that are that are to the side. So one of them might have like show notes or chapter list or whatever in them, or the queue, or like there's all sorts of different things that get revealed on these extra controls. Some of them which are things that we want to have on this screen in Castro, um, and some of them which we don't, but. I've never felt like that comfortable with any of these horizontal scrolling layouts. The page indicator thing has never like, like never seemed like, okay, yeah, no, that's really like setting me up really well or that I really like understand where I am in the interface. I always like swipe in the wrong direction for the wrong thing, for example, and things like that. And I think it just kind of like divides up the content too much and like keeps it like too separate from each other and from the context that it's in. Of all the options we have, I'm thinking that the horizontal swipe is the least bad so far. Or even the the other thing we mentioned is that there'd be buttons to reveal additional controls. I could imagine those buttons just being shortcuts for the transition to like horizontally swipe one way or the other. So imagine to the left of the screen, there's some features and to the right, there's something else. Um, and then there are buttons that represent those things and you press them and it does the transition, which is pretty much how Snapchat works at the moment. Now, Snapchat is not famously intuitive, but they have, well, what's kind of a tab bar at the bottom, but you're, you can also swipe horizontally to move between those screens. I think you make good arguments about those page indicators, and they often are pretty useless. As you were explaining that, I was picturing like iOS 1 or 2 when the weather app had those little cards that would flip over for you to configure them. And then you'd have like a horizontally swiping card for each city that you had weather added for. And the dots would be, I think, underneath. And that was always clear enough to me. I could look at those dots and tell, okay, I'm at the end of the screen. I'm going to swipe back rather than trying to continue forward. So I, I think they can be done in a way that works, but they just very rarely are. In that context of, of the weather app idea, I feel like maybe page controls like that like make more sense to me like in contexts where what you're flipping through is like pages of like similar things. So it's like... Yeah, every screen that you go to is going to be like the same type of screen, like showing the weather, but just for a different location. So you're swiping through and it's like, okay, I'm changing location, changing location, but it's the same type of information. But if it's like three screens where each of them like is like a completely different context or different type of content or different type of interactions that they provide, using page controls or like hiding UI in that way 
doesn't help to like kind of create like an easily understood visual hierarchy for where all the different things are in my mind when I'm trying to use an app that has stuff hidden in that way. This is a hard thing to design and not just end up at the exact same place as everyone else. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I don't have in mind like avoiding ending up in the same place as everyone else, just like so that we end up somewhere different for the sake of it. I guess sometimes it's hard as well when you try to like figure this stuff out and then eventually realize that like, yeah, some ways that other people have been doing things for a long time actually do make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't mean that it would be bad to end up where everyone else is because then it'd be the same as everyone else. I mean, uh, we would have to drop some of the goals we have for this player. Yeah, any solution we're able to think of means compromising on some of those things that we don't really want to compromise with. Now that we're going through this process again, I can definitely see how other apps have ended up there and what compromises they've chosen to make. And maybe they are the best ones, but Castro's player screen prioritizes making all the controls really easily accessible. It does that better than any other app at the moment. We'd love to keep that, but we want to add the artwork in. We're going to cut back on some of that, the easy availability of those controls in the name of making this new screen that you can just kind of live on if you want to and look at, and also tidying the whole thing up. And that's okay, but how do we do that without ending up with either vertical scrolling, which is undiscoverable, or horizontal scrolling, which is hard to keep a mental map of what's going on? That's where I feel like maybe where it comes down in my mind right now is that like having buttons to reveal like an additional control or two may not be the, be the terrible thing that we once thought that it was. When I picture those buttons, I'm imagining them doing exactly what the horizontal scrolling is doing. So maybe that's the difference between it, between what we're thinking of. Say we have a very plain, straightforward, nice looking player screen. And then we want all the like all the settings about enhanced audio, continuous play, speed, blah, blah, blah. We want those behind a settings button. So we press that settings button. I was picturing the transition to that screen as a horizontal thing revealing something on the side. Maybe there's also a way to just horizontally swipe and get there. Or maybe there isn't, but it's still going to feel the same in terms of where the information is. What were you picturing that the buttons would do? I think one idea that we threw around like a little bit earlier in the process that I had kind of been coming back around to a little bit in my head was kind of modal kind of style views. We had kind of toyed with the idea of the way that some of the controls work in um, in Control Center, where when you force press them, you get like these additional options kind of like spring out from them it wouldn't be so much based on force press but the idea that say for example oh if you want to like set a sleep timer now that like blurs out the screen and you get like full screen controls all the screen needs to be right now is like the best sleep timer settings screen like in the world essentially yeah i think maybe modal stuff like that or horizontally swiping things like you've described i think are definitely like the two best options we should uh, investigate i think if stuff animates in like even after tapping a button if it animates in like as if it was like off to the side and back out in the same way i think in situations like that you would also probably want to have like swipe actions to indicate it or at least that seems to be a way of telling the user hey you can also swipe to get this if you need to and it might be a better way to teach that stuff than a than a page control that sounds good to me but anyhow all these lovely all these new buttons and controls and all this stuff i mean they're not going to be of much use to us unless there's a really great player underneath to, that they can control. So tell us, what have, what have you been working on? <laughs> the reason we're changing the player engine, first of all, 
at the moment we're using I think AVEQ player which is a reasonably high level framework that you can give audio files to uh, you can tell it to play at different speeds skip forward skip back play pause do all that stuff um, and it'll manage streaming and everything and it's pretty good but a few months back we added a feature we call enhanced audio which is our version of overcast's voice boost basically but the way we implemented our enhanced audio was to use what's called an audio tap which we connect to that av player that lets us run the audio stream through different core audio units which means we can apply dynamic compressor and a peak limiter and various other things, just as if we were we had built our own very low-level player. So that was a really nice way to get to do some of that audio manipulation without buying the whole system. But unfortunately, it's a pretty obscure API, and most people, I think, who need that kind of control just dive in straight for the lower levels. So maybe it's not used that much. I, I, I'm not sure, but it has bugs, particularly if you play your audio at a faster speed. So we filed a radar radar with a project that reproduces it ages ago, but of course we haven't heard anything back because that's radar for you. Basically, I think it's incompatible with faster play speeds, and maybe that's never a use case that it was intended for. Um, But here we are trying to use it this way. Since we've had nothing back from that radar, and we really want to have this feature, and we also want like a foundation to be able to do more fancy audio features, we've decided that it's time to just get down into the lower levels and build our own player. It's kind of an interesting time to be doing that as well anyhow, since I think like the audio player that's in Castro now is like probably one of the oldest parts of the of the entire code base. So it's good to maybe maybe it's a good time to revisit it anyhow and like tear out some of some of that pretty bad code that I wrote years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are probably all kinds of new bugs that we'll we'll discover doing it this way. That'll be fun. But yeah, so my, my goals with it are let us have enhanced audio without any skipping bugs give us a foundation to build more interesting audio features like silence skipping or whatever else. And then lastly, I really want to improve the latency of our play controls, like so that you press play or press pause or skip and it's just like done instantly because that that's one thing that over the years has ended up getting a bit slow in Castro. That might be something we could just debug in our current app, but um, I think since we're rewriting this for other reasons anyway, that's I'm just adding that as a goal for this one. Yeah, I think the empty audio tap that we have on it as well it like has be, has made a big difference in the performance of that. If you turn off enhanced audio at the moment, the performance on some of that stuff is is a bit better. Yeah, the tap is definitely the problem, but I want to be able to have enhanced audio and also have it be responsive, and I think that should be possible. So, so yeah, that is a goal. We're using AV Audio Engine, um, so it's going to be a lot more work, but it's kind of it's weird to just go from a framework where you just give it the file and say there you go play that thanks bye to oh okay you have to like create a bunch of audio buffers and loop over them and schedule the audio like 20 milliseconds at a time (laughs) and forget about skipping and seeking and all that stuff you get to build all that yourself by figuring out what frame you want to jump to so you have to translate timestamps into frame counts and think about sample rates and you can get surprisingly far without knowing anything about audio (laughs) in ios yeah, we did pretty good to get this far. <laughs> it's a cool thing to work on, and I'm excited that like it's going to take a while to get it up to a point where it's delivering all the dreams that we have for it. But I'm glad that when we have a bug that we're trying to chase down, that we'll have the code in front of us. Like right now, if there's something weird in IV Audio Player, there's nothing we can do about it. We don't get to see that source code, or we can't track down the bug. Um, so we just have to depend on Apple to release perfect software, which they always do. So we're good. <laughs> it's been interesting that the two of us are working like on 
player-related stuff, but obviously, like, two very different sides of it. Like, it reminds me a lot of, like, some of the early days of us ever working together. Like, when we used to do, like, those different web development projects and stuff, and I used to be doing the front-end stuff, and you would be doing the back-end. <laughs> yeah. We, we've, like, returned to our uh, traditional roles here, where, like, I'm working on the on the UI for the new player, and you're, like, underneath the hood, like, getting all getting all those buffers going. Yeah, that's fun. It's, yeah, we're back to where we started a little bit. I don't think it's going to like that we've now found like this new way that we're just always going to work and make sure we're always working in this way. But it's kind of a nice, uh, it's a nice parallel for now anyway. And like, it's been great being here, like in Vancouver. It's just been like a week so far. I'm going to be here for like a good bit longer now than in any previous time that I've been over to visit. So it's been nice to like start making progress on this stuff and then but not always have this feeling like that I already like counting down the days and knowing that like oh well there's only like one more week or whatever left so yeah it's going to be great to like be working together in the same city on on this stuff and finishing up all this stuff over the next couple of months until we get this subscription out the door. It's been really nice to have a more natural working environment together. Yeah, you're here for a long enough time that we're not in a big rush to like make the most of every possible second. But when we record podcasts, we make sure we're on opposite sides of the city. Okay, well, this has been episode 30 of the Super Top Podcast. I'm glad we've made it to 30 episodes. I think we might even make it to 31. Who knows? Okay, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon from Vancouver. Thanks for listening. <laughs>